You are listening to KUSF, live from the University of San Francisco. Visit us on the web at KUSF.org. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to the podcast for Switchback, the literary magazine for the MFA program in writing at the University of San Francisco. We are recorded live every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. at the KUSF Studios. I'm Rafael Herrero, Rafael Herrero, if you can roll your R's. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are at KUSF, and we're going to be talking about creative writing today, and Garrett Miller is going to be interviewing Kelsey Almark. Welcome back, my friends. How are you today, Garrett? Hey, Rafael, I'm doing all right today, thanks. Cool. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Kelsey today? Sure. So, uh, Kelsey Allmark is here at USF. She is a fan of the nonfiction essay, Desert Landscapes, True Crime Shows, and Rescue Dogs. She graduated cum laude from the University of Arizona in 2009 with a Bachelor of Arts in Creative Writing, where she studied under writers and poets such as Ander Monson, Adela Licona, Joshua Foster, Steve Orlin, and Peter Wilde. She served as a TNTP teaching fellow and taught high school English along the Arizona-Mexico border for three years. And she is currently an educator in the Bay Area and is the nonfiction editor of Switchback. And Kelsey's work has appeared in the literary journal The Ignatian, Switchback, and the Arizona Daily Wildcat. Kelsey Allmark. Hi, everyone. Hello. Thank you so much for coming today. So actually, the MFA program teaches students that are enrolled how to write beautiful prose or poetry, fiction, nonfiction, but it also prepares you for the workplace. It also teaches you how to teach, right? It can, certainly. I think that having mentors in the program and seeing how a workshop is done uh, very on a small scale can definitely prepare you. And also the USF offers a fellowship. So there are a few of our students who are, are our uh, cohort who will be teaching an undergraduate class right. in the fall and spring. And Garrett, did you take one of those classes on teaching creative writing? I did. Yeah. You know, uh, I was going to talk about it a little later on. Yeah. Kelsey and I were both in this uh, really awesome seminar on uh, the teaching of creating writing with, uh, with Kate Brady, who wow. uh, you know, sadly uh, retired last year. But um, yeah, that was a great experience, I think for me uh, and, you know, and I'm not even a teacher professionally, but it just taught me so much about, Kate uh, you know, Brady, yeah. She mm-hmm. came into our show twice to talk about story logic and the craft of fiction. Anyway, you guys are experts in this, and I thought that a second-year student should interview another second-year student. So, Garrett, take it away. Well, thanks, Rafael. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I have a great privilege of uh, sitting down with one of my good friends and writing peers, Kelsey Allmark. Uh, so, Kelsey, thanks for doing this with me. I thought we could uh, just start out with a little bit about, um, you know, how you got to where you are today in terms of your teaching career. I'm wondering, you know, what was it that first made you get into teaching and, and how you sort of started down that career path that you're on today? Yeah, that's a good place to start. So I uh, had done my undergraduate work at the University of Arizona. And while Mm -hmm. I was there, I had uh, become a tutor at the SALT Center. The SALT Mm -hmm. Center was a strategic alternative learning techniques for students who have learning differences uh, at the college level. So I realized that I really enjoyed 
working one-on-one with students and I enjoyed teaching them subjects that I personally found very interesting mm-hmm. or um, a classes that I had taken. So it started off like that. And in 2009, when I had graduated, we were kind of in the midst of a recession and a lot of people weren't getting jobs, but there were a lot of opportunities to give back to the community. And one of those ways is to do like a teaching opportunity, um, much like Teach yeah. for America offers. So after graduating, I actually thought that I wanted to go to law school. So I prepped for that. Mm-hmm. But I found that I was really being called to teach. So I applied for um, a program called the New Teacher Project, Teaching Fellows, and was able to, I was accepted into this program and earned my teaching credential through them. So that's what got me started initially with teaching. Great. And then uh, I know you, I know you teach in the Bay Area today. Um, do you teach high school? Is that right? I do. So I predominantly, I got my uh, credential in secondary, which is anywhere from middle school to high school. So I can teach in, my credential is in English. I have also subbed because I've moved and transitioned to different areas. Sometimes I'll start off as a sub um, with K through eight, a substitute teacher. Okay. Yes. Uh, So I substitute taught uh, for K through eight. And I really love the high Mm -hmm. school level because it offers uh, some maturity. Uh, Students have more experiences often that they're able to write about and they're using the tools and techniques that they've learned through, you know, K through five and applying it at a higher level. Yeah, you know, I I wanted to ask, you know, I know you teach a whole range of subjects. How much uh, creative writing do you get to teach? And, you know, how much of that is your call and how much is built into the curriculum? Uh, How much of that experience do you get? It really varies uh, upon districts that you can work in. So sometimes within a district, they'll really want a lot of skill set based learning. And that Mm. tends to happen, especially in the younger grades, like ninth and 10th grade. They want you to have those skill sets. Mm -hmm. When you start getting into, um, you know, upperclassmen, 11th or 12th grade, you can Mm -hmm. do a lot more creative writing with them Mm -hmm. because they have those skill sets. They've read more, they've experienced it. So therefore you can offer them um, more in depth creative writing. But we definitely try to do, I would say I try to do at least six weeks six weeks of exposure to creative writing for my students per semester, uh, per year, which doesn't seem like a lot. Uh, but for those who, who mm. struggle sometimes with that subject, it's plenty of time. No, it's, it's, it's better than nothing at all. Certainly. Um, yeah, that sounds great. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, what is it like to teach creative writing to, you know, to high school age students and, you know, what do you, what do you look for in student work at this level? Um, you know, compared to let's say the undergraduate level. That's a great question. So I definitely, for my students who are in high school, when I work with them, I look just for some applications, some um, stories that they're willing to tell. It could be anything. I'm looking for something on the page for them to kind of be just creative in what they're doing. A big comparison between what I see with high school students and what I see with undergrads is that undergrads seem to have more control Mm. on uh, the techniques and the skills that they use, especially in subject matter. Mm. Whereas in high school, there's less control. So I like what I, so, but what I don't want that to get in the way of them, I don't expect them to have control over their command on the subjects. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I just want them to feel like there's a safe spot for them to express their feelings. I think that that's something that writing has always done for others, as, and it's done that for me too. Mm. So, you know, coming to the page and releasing a series of emotions or stories, that's what I'm looking for. Don't ask too much, um, but I just want to see them express themselves freely. So, so you're saying that they will mostly work on thematic stuff or... Do you also work on style or or story structure? That's a great question. So we mostly do, um, students at high school level don't always have a clear set style. I think style sometimes takes years to build and it's definitely accumulation of uh, what you're reading. And if you are a writer, then you're reading all the time. So your style is constantly changing. Mm. And something that I have noticed from my high school students is, is if they're not well read, if they haven't read a lot um, throughout the years, then their style will be a little bit behind others who are more well read. So I think for them, it's just like looking at what's possible for them, um, what's available to them to write about and how they can express themselves in different ways. Because I think a big part about teaching for high school is our students have so many feelings and they do have experiences is being able to show them something and have them sit, walk away and say, I felt like that before and I never knew it until I read this poem or I read this story. Yeah, that's such a great point. And, you know, I totally agree. That's such a value of, you know, literature in general, you know, that identification of feelings like, you know, that, that you're not alone. And, um, you know, that's a really great point. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering, Kelsey, do you have a, a favorite um, story or poem or essay that you like to teach that you find, you know, resonates with a lot of, of students? Um, I'm so glad you asked this question because as a teacher, I, I oftentimes uh, will teach, you know, I'll have a district who may make a requirement that I teach a certain book or um, lesson set. And when I can, I'll try to, you know, squeeze in some of my favorites. And I think my second year of teaching, I stumbled upon a story that I think forever changed my ideas of what um, coming of age is, because mm -hmm. coming of age is a huge theme uh, that I focus on in my writing for all levels of high school. And the story is called The Bass, the River, and Sheila Mann. It's by W.D. Wetherill. And what I like about this story, especially, it's a fiction story, but it talks about how, you know, we can identify ourselves throughout each character in this story. It focuses on a, a young boy who's visiting his uh, a cabin in the summer and he falls in love and has a crush on this girl across the lake and he's also really into fishing so the story takes place where he you know puts a line in not really thinking about it and going to pick up Sheila Mant to take her to the fair and she's not really interested in him um, but she goes and he has to make a choice in this story between like catching the fish of his lifetime and choosing this girl And I think it really shows students the choices that we make and how we can stay true to our character. And it also gives them a sense of, you know, I've, I've felt this way and I've been both of these characters, regardless of uh, gender expression. So I've, I've been the narrator and I've been Sheila. And I really like how, what that does for uh, students and they're able to see a place that they may have never seen before and it exposes them to characters that are just like themselves. 
you know, I want to go back to, uh, I think we mentioned at the the top of the show, you know, the um, the teaching writing seminar that, that Kelsey and I took together uh, about a year ago. Um, you know, I, I mentioned before, you know, it taught me so much. I'm wondering, you know, and I'm not even a, a teacher professionally. Um, I'm wondering, Kelsey, you know, uh, were there any big takeaways you had from that class? Um, any kind of lessons or concepts that you still incorporate in your teaching of writing or, or, or just being a teacher in general. I think we, we covered some basic topics of, you know, what teaching good teaching is and looks like and how to run a classroom. Um, did you have any lessons that you still sort of refer back to from that class or did it teach you anything new that you still use? That's something that I haven't been able to use explicitly yet as uh, an educator in the Bay Area. I predominantly work with students who receive services for learning differences. So oftentimes I'm less on the creative writing side and more on fundamentals for those students. I do think, though, like coming from Kate Brady's class, you know, the best thing about coming away from that class was how much we left with just new ideas, new poetry, mm. uh, fiction writing, nonfiction writing that we can incorporate into our own. I mean, I know for me, you know, again, not that I have, you know, put this into practice professionally or anything like that, but I, um, one thing I took away from that class was just the, um, the fact that, you know, for students, it's about sort of meeting them at their level and it's not about turning somebody into a great writer overnight. It's sort right. of about understanding the foundational level that they're at and then just getting them to take the next little baby step. Uh -huh. um, so wherever a student is, uh, I think you can meet him or her at where they're at and then always challenge them to, to grow and get better, you know, as a writer and a student, a person, uh, what have you. Um, so I really like that idea. Yeah, it's I want to echo that just because... You know, I think, too, something that I'm always challenged with and something that I think is so valuable from that class is that, you know, we are constantly asking ourselves who has the right to speak. And I think that every person has a story that they can tell and every person can relate to something in a story. And I think it, for a matter of like high school students and even with undergrads, it's challenging them to find that something that speaks to them that they can then create their own story. So Kelsey, I want to uh, go back to, uh, I don't think this was in your introduction, but I know, you, I forget if you mentioned you, you taught English along the U.S.-Mexico border and just speaking of, you know, having a voice and, and giving voice to the voiceless and other things that writing can do. I'm wondering if during any of that time uh, teaching English along the border, you know, how much was creative writing a part of that curriculum, if at all? That's a great question. So as I mentioned, I had gone to University of Arizona and did my undergrad there. And I was a creative writing major. So coming fresh out of college and deciding that I was going to teach English, of course, creative writing was a big component before uh, we started getting curriculum changes. So my first year, I really worked with students to help them produce portfolios. And I was blown away by the amount of uh, quality work that students were able to produce as freshmen. And one of the things that they did was they had to create uh, poetry portfolios. And you see a lot of emotion. You see a lot of um, themes that emerge from those students. And I think for me, I one thing that I always like to think about when I, when I teach students is what work is going to apply to them? Like what do I think what voices echo to them? And so mm. one piece of fiction that I would always used for my students is The House on Mango Street by uh, mm -hmm. Sandra Cineros. 
So I really like that work because those pieces work as the chapters are like, they're almost like shorts. So students are able to see a lot of language. They're able to see imagery. They're able to hear a language to them that is uh, a first language, a native language. So hearing that, they're able to incorporate that into the work that they do. And oftentimes I would see that in their poetry and and it really, I think, impacted them in a way that they were surprised by because oftentimes previous teachers maybe had them write, read work that was driven by an outside experience that they didn't relate to as much as the Esperanza did in the house on Mango Street. I'm wondering, Kelsey, do you have any any stories you can share uh, either through this uh, experience teaching English or, or just any time throughout your career um, where you felt that uh, a student really succeeded in a, in a creative writing project or um, really tapped into that kind of self-expression that, that, that you mentioned earlier um, in a way that really made you feel like you had succeeded as a teacher and you know done something special for, for that student? Yeah, of course. So I think you know, oftentimes uh, being a teacher, you don't know the impact that you make on a student until sometimes years later. And that was certainly true after my first year of teaching. Uh, as a first year teacher, sometimes I questioned whether I was making a difference at all. And I think after my third year, I got a Facebook message from a student who had transferred out. Um, but they had emailed me stating that they had made the honor roll at their school, that they felt um, that I had made such a difference for them. They had lost their father the year previous. And we had talked kind of about what it was like to have a father who was sick. My father's still with with me, uh, but he had been sick when I was growing up. So, you know, building those relationships with students, I think sometimes impacts them, but giving them opportunities to express themselves in the classroom is, I think, a way that always keeps students um, remembering you as they go on, because oftentimes they'll be in classrooms where they aren't able to express themselves freely or they're not given the, the opportunity to. So I think to me that student really stands out and I'll never forget the message that he sent and, and the difference that he said that I made for him. And I think too, you know, when I was teaching along the border, I was 23 years old when I went there. And a lot of my students had never, they didn't have a lot of interaction with females who were educated or had a degree and had a professional job and didn't weren't married and didn't have, have children. And so for my students, I think that for them I served as kind of like a mentor in the sense that they they were able to see the opportunities and choices and what I did with my time and uh, outside of school. And by being that mentor for them, they still contact me and they say, well, wh what did you study when you were in college? Like, I'm thinking about going to the University of Arizona mm -hmm. and I'd really like to know how you got involved with the school newspaper. So I think oftentimes it's not so much about writing, but it's just about being a person and, a, and present in their lives and knowing that you care. And those things are always stand out to me the most. But I'd love it if a student ever published anything and sent it to me. That'd be excellent. <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, those have to be really great feelings, you know, when you get a a message like that or or something to sort of validate, um, you know, that that effort that and time that you put in, and you know, I know how hard teachers work, and um, 
I was thinking for the second part of the show, maybe we could uh, switch gears a little bit, unless Rafael, you had any other questions about teaching, uh, anything like that, no? Oh, you know, I, I wanted to ask like a question. All right, I'm, that's sure. As a teacher, I'm always curious to know how other people were as students when they were growing up. Um, so, uh, Garrett, do you mind sharing with me like what kind of student you were at any age you can... I'd love for you to expand oh gosh. on I, uh, <laughs> what kind of student you were. Didn't prepare for this question, but uh, no, I um, I got good grades. I, I think I was the kind of student who, uh, uh, the, you know, the teachers would have to come up with those creative uh, methods of getting students to participate. You know, because I wouldn't want to raise my hand. I was very quiet, very shy, and so you know, you have like the bucket full of clothespins with every student's name written on them and it's like who's going to answer this question and you know I'm like oh not not me not me and you know but then of course when I got my name picked and I would say the answer and get it right you get that feeling of validation so I think in the end it's uh it's a good system and uh, you know I like those kind of uh, democratic systems of participation because everybody kind of gets to shine equally a creative way that I get my students to participate is I might um, ask someone who's wearing black socks to read the next mm. paragraph or someone who brushed their teeth this morning is usually a really effective one uh, to answer the next question because nobody wants to be the student who didn't brush their teeth. So they'll usually oh, all right. raise their hand. <laughs> that's right. That's good. But anyway, yeah, I was kind of that kind of student, uh, quiet, studious, you know, I don't want to say teacher's pet, but I, I certainly wasn't causing trouble or anything like that either. So what about you? What, uh, what, what kind of student were you growing up? I was quite different than how you described yourself. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, when I was uh, in elementary school, my mother worked the night shift as a nurse, and my father took classes occasionally to earn his PhD. So I felt like I didn't have a lot of support at home to kind of figure out and negotiate the how to be a student. So I was often the kid who came to school with like no homework done, forgotten folders. Like so, it took me a while to kind of learn how to be studious, and that's something that I, I, I frankly take the credit for, like teaching myself how to be a student. So middle school was a little rough because that's when I was like actually trying, but <laughs> forgetting what to do and like how to pack a backpack. But by high school and college, I kind of, I got it. And I really w I was able to uh, be more successful as a student. And that's something that I'm oftentimes like really interested in teaching my students is how to be a successful student, you know, seeking out um, their teachers, going to office hours, uh, reading additional material, educating themselves so that way they can advocate for their own learning and uh, have a more successful future as well. So I can't speak, I haven't had the benefit of being a student of Kelsey's, I can't speak to her teaching prowess, but I have been fortunate enough, I can say, to have had a number of workshops and seminars with her. I can say she's a very skilled, talented writer. Um, so I was hoping we could talk a little bit about your own interest in writing, Kelsey, and maybe take the, take, let you take the teacher hat off and put the writing hat on for a little bit. Yeah, that'd be um, great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know you, you mentioned earlier getting your bachelor's in, uh, in creative writing. I'm wondering, um, you know, when your interest in writing first began, was it, was it before that? Yes. So I love this question because it reminds me kind of of the first moment where I started feeling a sense of pride in the work that I produced. Mm -hmm. So when I was growing up, I always loved reading and I think that that sparked my interest in writing and especially since my mother was a vivacious reader, she passed that along to myself. And 
in eighth grade, we were writing poetry, and one of my poems was uh, selected to be judged by the high school, the local high school. And they gave me some really great critical feedback, uh, probably feedback I wasn't ready for, <laughs> seeing as how you know, you're know you used to getting a lot of praise for work that you did. But it was something that I got uh, chosen, one of my poems did, and I really liked that feeling. I liked feeling that you know other people my age weren't doing what I was doing. And I loved the fact that something in the academic range was getting praised for. Mm. And then, so that kind of sparked my interest. And in ninth grade, we had to write, that was like a coming of age year. And we had to write stories about our names. And uh, I had never really liked my name. The name Kelsey to me just seemed so blah. I grew up in Alabama and wanted a name like Susanna, Mm. Um, something a little bit more classic, um, a little and I hate to say this, but ordinary. So I uh, wrote a story about my name and how I ended up liking it. And the teacher chose my story and put it on the bulletin board. And I felt all this pride mm-hmm. and great, immense, like just satisfaction for work that I had done. So I think that's what really sparked my interest in writing. And I went to a high school that allowed us to take a variety of English classes. And in my junior year, we had gotten to take uh, writers and society and we basically wrote like novellas worth of work um, in nonfiction. So that was a a place where I started writing a lot of memoir, a lot of nonfiction Mm -hmm. and just stayed with it. Yeah. Well, you know, I know uh, obviously nonfiction is sort of your genre of choice now. Was that always the case? You know, when you I mean, how does that work when you're um, I didn't get a bachelor's in creative writing, so I don't know. Do you do you, are you sort of forced to go into different genres and play around or, or did you kind of specialize the way we do here in the MFA uh, in nonfiction? Um, yeah, the University of Arizona allowed us to choose like you're required to take a creative writing like when in your creative writing class, a fiction, poetry, and nonfiction. And then you get to choose one that you want to take a second class on. That's your specialization, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So my first class was in poetry. And I frankly, I probably didn't know much about it. And so I thought that I was this great poet and I could write poetry. And I think <laughs> some people really do uh, probably think they're naturals. And then, you know, when you're reading poetry and when you start taking these workshops, you realize that it's a really difficult to come up with poems and mm-hmm. to really focus on word choice. Um, so that was something that I'm, I love. I appreciate poetry so much and I read it, but it's not something I, I totally focus in. And then in fiction, I also appreciate fiction, but at the same time, I really struggled with coming up with uh, story concepts that weren't really about my life. <laughs> I think sometimes uh, we can try to mask our uh, lives as non as fiction, but people often see through that very quickly. No, I, I, I absolutely can relate. I had the same problem. I started out with short fiction and uh, just realized I was writing about myself thinly veiled. And I thought, you know what, why not just uh, be honest with myself and mm-hmm. with everyone else and just write nonfiction. So Kelsey, what what do you like to write about uh, these days, you know, since you've been here at the program, you know, in, in nonfiction, what do you like to write about? I, it's so funny because the things that I say that I like to write about sometimes show up in different ways. So I think I'm always going to be interested in writing about race and class and gender. Those things are always very interesting to me and how they show up uh, is in different ways. So for example, 
I also like to write about, you know, things that are ordinary that can become extraordinary. I think the first year that I was here, I wrote an essay about laundry and that turned into an essay on uh, underwear. And so sometimes we take for granted these normal things that exist around us. And I think the best essays often tend to meditate on those and discover and do research and talk about personal experiences that we have with them. So I like to think that I take ordinary things and try to just shine on them a little bit and make them extraordinary and interesting to a variety of people and readers. That's a great strategy to have. Uh, do you have any, um, like, do you have any literary role models that, that do those sorts of things that kind of are really great at, at shining the spotlight, so to speak, on, on these kind of ordinary things? I guess for me, coming would like would John McPhee and and oranges kind of fit that bill a little bit exactly uh, who I was thinking. So uh you know the idea that he just had the idea to write about oranges. Mm -hmm. Um, Most likely, I think it was something from orange juice and his search for what is like the perfect orange juice or the essay that we read in class about the mattress and this man's obsession Mm -hmm. uh, with finding the perfect mattress. So, and then the history of them and these companies, but it's not always, what I think is so great about writers is that, you know, you have your writerly life and then you have your personal life and oftentimes those intersect. And I think that that's something that a skill that I'm still searching for is having, you know, here's my personal life and here's my writerly life and combining the two. But uh, I would definitely say John McPhee is someone who does take subjects and, Mm. and is able to... Uh, expand on them Mm -hmm. and like turn them in ways that we might not have thought of. And what about, um, I know you mentioned race and and class and those other kind of big, bigger issues sort of on the other end of the spectrum rather than, you know, looking at something micro and making it universal, but to, you know, talk about, um, you know, race and class. Uh, I'm wondering, do you have any uh, authors or writers you like to, uh, or try to emulate in your own writing? Roxanne Gay is a big name coming up right now Mm -hmm. in terms of talking about race and class she's phenomenal and she also talks a lot about gender as well so all around she's like somebody that i would definitely recommend to uh for people to read who are interested in that and i'm thinking of titles uh versus names but Hmm. there's a title of the book called amazing grace which focuses Hmm. on poverty um in the united states and what that looks like we also read another book uh titled was the one about a nickel and dimed. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Yes. So that was a journalist who went in and was working undercover as um, minimum wage workers. So talks a lot about race and and class and in gender too, um, because a lot of these mm-hmm. authors are are female. So their experiences are often going to be very different per se than a male's experience. Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, I think that's you know, uh, one of the things good nonfiction can do too sometimes is, is sort of let you view the world through, through a different kind of lens, uh, uh, you know, a different set of eyes. Yeah. And I don't think people should shy away from that. Like I went to AWP this last, uh, April and one of the best things about being there was like Roxanne Gay. I was, saw one of her panels and she encouraged the audience. She goes, you know, when is there going to be a time when it's just not people of color who are talking about race. 
Mm. Um, she, it's really, you know, taking those things into our own hands and being able to talk about them, whether we know about them or not, it's being able to talk about them and coming into a place where we want to learn and express ourselves and to understand where somebody else might be coming from. So I think, you know, anyone can write about, uh, race and class and gender. You just have to also know what you're talking about in, in some regard and mm. come at it with a very open mind in order to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, just in these uh, last few minutes here, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about form. I know, I know you're, you're a fan of writing in the sort of short, short form. Um, I don't know if, you know, you hear about flash fiction, um, if we can say flash nonfiction or, or micro essay, or I don't know if you have your own sort of term for it, but, um, you know, under 500 word kind of short length uh, nonfiction pieces. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the appeal of this short form for you, um, you know, what it can do or, or what it does um, and what the impact is of that short length. Of course, I'd love to. I love writing in shorts simply because it allows for a, a feeling to happen. And I, when I'm reading something of page lengths, it sometimes it takes pages and chapters to find that feeling. And what I love about shorts is that feeling is immediate and it just is for a short amount of time. And someone that I really admire who does that so well that I've been reading um, lately has been Abigail Thomas. She wrote a book called Safekeeping. She's also written uh, Three Dog Life, which is a memoir, but Safekeeping is also a memoir based on shorts. So a lot of her um, themes centered around her marriage. And I just really enjoyed the feeling that I get when I read her sentences. It's almost like reading poetry, but it's in prose form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally know what you mean. It's sort of that spark versus that uh, slow burn, mm -hmm. um, that uh, payoff. Yeah. And uh, last question here, Kelsey, if anyone's interested in reading sort of flash nonfiction, are there any journals, websites, uh, any places uh, you'd recommend? Yeah, depending on the length that you're looking for, um, you know, a lot of shorts can be between like one to 2000 words. So you'll see a lot of journals that will carry those kinds of pieces. But in particular, if you're looking for something shorter, brevity um, is an online journal that is uh, run by Denty Moore. And he encourages people to submit for 750 words stories. And that's a great place to see high quality work um, often. And then another place that I would encourage readers to look into is 100 word stories. And those are great, too, because they really, truly are stories in 100 words. And I thought that it would be really easy to write 100 word stories, but I challenge anyone and everyone to take on that task because it really is a challenge to write a good 100 word story that captures that that scene um, and character and feeling. Yeah, That's so true. Yeah. But the payoff is great if you can pull it off for sure. Well, Kelsey, yeah, thanks so much for uh, talking with me today. Uh, that's all the, the questions I have. So we have had Garrett Miller and Kelsey Allmark here in our studios today, and they have been talking about teaching creative writing 
and in particular teaching creative writing in the high school setting. You guys were fabulous. Thank you both. Thank you, Rafael. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Kelsey, I'm sure you've had so many listeners seduced by not only your voice, but by the info you have been handing out so generously. Can people contact you in any way? Yes. Yeah, so I have an account on Twitter. I also have a WordPress, which is under my name, Kelsey, K-E-L-S-E-Y, Allmark, A-H-L-M-A-R-K. And what are you working on right now? I'm teaching biology and history. So a lot of my work is focused on my students and covering in those subjects. And also, I think right now I'm just taking a break to do a lot of reading. I like to get inspired and find a voice and a style that I like to emulate and then move into to writing. Thank you so much for coming in, both of you. You guys are fantastic. This is Switchback, the literary magazine for the MFA program for the University of San Francisco. Switchback, this is Rafael Herrero, and this is... Garrett Miller. And... Kelsey Allmark. Thank you so much for listening, and I want to see you here next week, every Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Bye, everybody. So that's it for today. I'm Rafael Herrero, and Rafael Herrero, if you can roll your R's, You've been listening to Switchback, the podcast of the MFA program in creative writing or simply writing here at the University of San Francisco. Join us next week on Thursday at 5.30 p.m. We're recorded live at KUSF Studios. Find us online at KUSF.org. You can also find our podcast on Switchback Literary Magazine's website. That's www switchback s-w-b-a-c-k dot com our intro music is by larks if you want to contact me please do so at rafael herrero r-a-f-a-e-l dot h-e-r-r-e-r-o dot s-f like in san francisco at gmail.com thanks for listening and join us next week at 5.30 p.m. next Thursday, where we'll be talking about anything writerly. Bye. Is anyone there? Please. You're listening to KUSF.org. You're listening to KUSF, live from the University of San Francisco. Visit us on the web at KUSF.org. The Secret Diaries of a Gay Gynecologist in Paris. A memoir in podcast format, coming this fall, September 27th. Every Tuesday, the story of a gay gynecologist who abandons everything and moves to Paris in the search of love and happiness. And, well, things don't go as expected. Read by the author, Dr. Rafael Herrero, MD, PhD. The Secret Diaries of a Gay Gynecologist in Paris may contain adult language. And, vive Paris!